I'm thinking about art. <laughs> and I'm always thinking about art. Um, and it's 9.20 on a Tuesday morning and I'm slightly hungover and I'm still thinking about art. I'm looking at the painting that I can't seem to finish. And I'm reading John Berger and I'm thinking about art and the way that John Berger talks about art is something that will always inspire me because he talks about art as a natural phenomenon, something as natural as the sunrise and the sunset or something as natural as a hurricane or tornado or giving birth or dying because that's what art is. Art is all of that. It's a manifestation of all of that and we can't let that go. And I'm always thinking about it because I think by experiencing it, whether through my own hands or through my own words or ears or mouth or senses, or by witnessing it and consuming it, it's the only way I think I could understand life. Uh, I, there's, was a period of time where the only time I felt like I could understand other humans is if I was looking at paintings in the museum. Because um, I struggled with understanding the people around me, but I could go to the Met and see Manet's portraits and understand every single one of them and understand why Manet was drawn to painting people and understanding the way that the eyes in paintings look. And I can understand Rosa Bonheur's fascination with cows. And I can understand Monet's fascination with light and because I share those fascinations um, with them. And I think that art is the only way we can make it. I really do. I, I, I don't think we can make it any other way because politics are corrupt and uh, celebrity culture is corrupt and power is always corrupt and will always be corrupt even though it will always be present it will always be corrupt but I think art humbles us when you take the ego out of it it humbles us um, it's like when you sit down to write <laughs> about one thing and you're three pages deep writing about something else. I mean, I started this little voice memo to read to you the beautiful passage that I just read of John Berger's that though I cannot bring myself to write these days, um, I wanted to read to you this passage because it sparked something in me and now here I am talking about paintings in the Met. <laughs> um, so.
here we go. I'm reading this book called John Berger, The Sense of Sight, and it's essays. Um, it's like a collection of essays. And this essay that I'm reading is about the white bird, which is, he talks about this wooden bird that, um, in this little peasant town of, in certain regions of Czechoslovakia, well, I guess no longer Czechoslovakia, this is an older essay, Russia and Baltic countries, they hang a wooden bird in their house, and it has various different meanings, but he goes into talking about nature, both the beauty of nature and the darkness of nature. Um, let's see, where can I start? Alright, I'll start here. I don't know if this is exactly, if you'll exactly understand the context, but let's see. Before a mountain, a desert just after the sun has gone down, or fruit tree, one can always experience aesthetic emotion. Consequently, we are forced to begin again. Not this time with a man-made object, but with the nature into which we are born. Urban living has always tended to produce a sentimental view of nature. Nature is thought of as a garden or a view framed by a window or as an arena of freedom. Peasants, sailors, nomads have known better. Nature is energy and struggle. It is what exists without any promise. If it can be thought of by man as an arena, a setting, it has to be thought of as one which lends itself as much to evil as to good. Its energy is fearsomely, fearsomely indifferent. The first necessity of life is shelter, shelter against nature. The first prayer is for protection. The first sign of life is pain. If the creation was purposeful, its purpose is a hidden one which can only be discovered intangibly within signs never by the evidence of what happens. It is within this bleak natural context that beauty is encountered, and the encounter is by its nature, sudden and unpredictable. The gale blows itself out, the sea changes from the color of gray shit to aquamarine. Under the fallen boulder of an avalanche, a flower grows. Over the shanty town, the moon rises. I offer dramatic examples so as to insist upon the bleakness of the context, reflect upon more everyday examples. However it is encountered, beauty is always an exception, always in despite of. This is why it moves us. I think that now we live in time where we don't want to see anything bad which is so strange because we see so much bad 
so much strife and struggle and conflict every day, especially in the news, especially with what's going on right now. But we demonize it. We don't, we, we demonize it and we try to avoid it also in nature. He says nature is thought of as a garden or a view framed by a window or in his arena of freedom. Of course, but that's the selective nature that we choose. We don't want the storms. We don't want the snow, like the, the really harsh snow. We don't want the avalanche. We don't want the shit gray sea. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't think that's proper. I don't think that's right of us. Who are we to say that a storm is bad? <laughs> I mean, growing up in Florida, I was surely scared of storms and sometimes they still scare me. But now I am aware enough to, when I'm (laughs) fearful that a storm is happening, I could stop and take a breath and say, this is irrational. This is just nature taking, making its course. This is like, I'm not suffering at all. (laughs) This is just an irrational fear. But I think this can also carry to how we look at art and how we look at things that humans produce. And if it's anything less than exceptional by society standards, it's demonized. But I'm constantly being reminded through my own practices and through reading and learning that The mistakes are art too. The bad art is still art. It's all a process of undoing and doing again. Because like I said earlier, I I fully believe that art is... It's everything. Alright, let's resume. (laughs) I don't know where this is going. Um... I haven't been able to write, so speaking feels good. It can be argued that the origin of the way we are moved by natural beauty was functional. Flowers are a promise of fertility. A sunset is a reminder of fire and warmth. Moonlight makes the night less dark. The bright colors of a bird's plumage are activistically even for us a sexual stimulus yet such an argument is too reductionist i believe snow is useless a butterfly offers us very little of course the range of what a given community finds beautiful in nature will depend upon what its mean of means of survival its economy its geography What Eskimos find beautiful is unlikely to be the same as what the Ashanti found beautiful.
Within modern class societies, there are complex ideological determinations. We know, for instance, that the British ruling class in the 18th century disliked the sight of the sea. Equally, the social use to which an aesthetic emotion may be put changes according to the historical moment. The silhouette of a mountain can represent the home of the dead or a challenge to the initiative of living. Anthropology, comparative studies of religion, political economy, and Marxism have all made this clear. Okay. So, the second part of that is a little heady, and I'm not going to go into all of that. But, this whole snow is useless, a butterfly offers us very little... And yet, we are moved by beauty and natural beauty. I find it to be very interesting. Um, But it's also, as he said, a very reductionist argument that nature is here for us. And I say this as I look around my room and see the plants and the flowers. That I've placed <laughs> intentionally to make my space feel more beautiful. But it's not here for us. Snow is useless. A butterfly offers us very little, ultimately. But this comes back around to our human urge to attach meaning to things and to make these things our symbols and it's not bad at all it's quite beautiful that we find some sort of meaning in the natural world around us but I think we also need to remember that it's not just ours we're existing with it we are just little pieces of the puzzle because to butterflies we are absolutely useless and we offer birds very little. If anything, we we take we don't offer them anything. We destroy a lot of um, their habitats. Um, so I don't know. Art uh, attaching meaning to the natural world, or to the worlds around us, or to beauty kind of gives us uh, meaning for life, I guess. It's interesting. Hmm. I don't know. I almost can't wrap my mind around it. This is also the second time I'm reading this passage, so I haven't had too much time to think about it. I guess that's all I have to say for now. I 
lately have not seen any other solution to where not solution i the meaning i think not the meaning <laughs> i'm searching for words I guess I, I'll say it again. I think the only way we could really get through this existence and the way humans have been getting through existence is by creating and creating helps us evolve. And maybe this is all just too obvious. And I'm late to the game realizing this. But I also think we need to remember that we need to create not to make money not only to make money or to impress people, but we need to create because we can connect with others. We can cross borders. We can cross boundaries. We can cross labels. There's so much more to our existence than these things. And art is one of the very few modes of transcendence, I believe. Um, we can process issues, we can confront issues, we can talk about them, and we can understand each other without understanding spoken language. Ah, I'm scanning this book now, or this the end of this essay now. And I've just come across this paragraph. So I guess I'll read this and uh, maybe I'll end it. Unless something sparks in me. The notion that art is the mirror of nature is one that only appeals in periods of skepticism. Art does not imitate nature. It imitates a creation, sometimes to propose an alternative world, sometimes simplify to amplify to confirm, to make social the brief hope offered by nature. Art is an organized response to what nature allows us to glimpse occasionally. Art sets out to transform the potential recognition into an unceasing one. It proclaims man in the hope of receiving a sure reply. The transcendental face of art is always a form of prayer. Yes, I fully believe that. <laughs> Um, it's very ritualistic making things, I think. I see everything that I make, whether nobody sees it or everybody sees it, it's a form of ritual. It's like performing magic. If you don't believe in magic, then you don't believe in art. All right. That's all I have to say. I'm not sure if any of this makes sense, but it feels good to process thoughts like this. Thanks for listening.